This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to the wheelhouse. You can see the confidence build day by day, and there is an electricity to his personality on the field that's really hard to look away from. Starring Jerry Depoto. And Jerry Depoto to the plate with the 2-2 pitch to Alex. Swing and a miss. He struck him out on the fastball. With Aaron Goldsmith. And now Chapter 3 is, yeah, he's a real ball player. He's an impactful player. He can do a ton for your team. And this is a guy that can really help to solidify a big league lineup. And Gary Hill Jr. He seems along those lines where he wants to be great and does everything possible to go get it. It's time for the Wheelhouse. Here's Aaron. Welcome to the Wheelhouse podcast. You can get the full version of today's episode at Mariners.com slash podcast or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Mariners broadcaster Aaron Goldsmith, joined as always by Gary Hill. G-Man, how you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Good to have you. And always joined by Mariners general manager Jerry DePoto. Jerry, good to see you, man. I, too, am doing great. <laughs> <laughs> I always assume that's the case. There's a, I, I tend to smile. I, li- I like that. It's my favorite. Hey, we've got a, a, a lot going on at the ballpark these days. We've got some high school graduations at T-Mobile Park. Uh, commencement speech coming up in your future at any point? Have you been invited down on the field? Are you part of the Grand Marshal, anything? No, but I'm happy to ad lib. You know, I, I, <laughs> I saw the folks piling in through the gates today, and I thought, oh, why not? I'll, I'll give it a shot. I'm sure I could say something mildly inspiring. I mean, I, I was trying to think, do I remember anything about my high school graduation? Not particularly. But if it was at a big league ballpark, I would at least remember that. I remember that it was on a football field. It's <laughs> about the end. <laughs> I got gotcha. you. It's a lot of years ago. Hey, the Mariners right now, it's pretty remarkable. They are hovering right around 500 despite – just a massive rash of injuries, kind of two versions of a very good bullpen. And yet you're right around the break-even mark. This has uh, got to be something internally that uh, everybody is kind of applauding because a lot has not gone the way of the Mariners so far this year. I, I would say almost nothing ha- has gone our way other than wins. You know, it was somehow this group has been resilient all year long, really. And, and we've been able to with contributions by so many players that you wouldn't have expected before the season started, we have been able to fashion you know, a, a break-even record, which seems like climbing Mount Everest based on you know, some of the trials and tribulations we faced with, with injuries or underperformance. It's magical, and so much can be attributed to the great job that's being done by the bullpen and, and just a series of new heroes every day. If the Paxton injury is the tip of the iceberg for the Mariners, the latest news on Kyle Lewis is not far behind. A meniscus tear in his knee, the knee that caused him problems when he uh, turned pro after being drafted by the Mariners. Uh, Based on your comments uh, earlier, this is not a short timetable, unfortunately, for Kyle. It's not, it's not likely to be a short timetable. We're still not entirely certain how long that's going to be, but our anticipation is that it's going to be you know, something in the neighborhood of a month or more, uh, and I would lean toward the more uh, as, as being the likely outcome here. So we'll gather more information, and obviously we need to visit with Kyle and find out where he is in terms of uh, how he would like to handle this moving forward. But our, as has always been the case, our 
objective here is to make sure that we keep Kyle as healthy and productive as we possibly can. We want him to play a long career and, and contribute to a lot of great things here in Seattle. That may not happen over these next 30 or 40 days, but it's going to happen. And, you know, we have to continue to, to keep him feeling confident about where he is in his career and, and just get him healthy because when he's healthy, it, he's quite good. Yeah, a, a dynamic player and really the person as well. I know Scott has touched on this and it was it was I think it was painful for all of us to hear how down Kyle is based on the injury per Scott uh, because he has that effervescence to him and is it has become such a presence by all accounts in the clubhouse. You know, it's, and I guess I would be down too if this had been a, a repeat uh, of what has happened, you know, at various intervals in his in his baseball life. It's it seems wildly unfair that just as he it rises to the big leagues and he's a rookie of the year, he has in many ways been a face of what we've been doing over these last two or three years, you know, and then to have to to sit in the back seat for a while and and uh, and the discouragement with knowing that that you have to once again like he did for a month earlier earlier this year or like he did back in 2016 go through the grind of rehabilitating an injury that is a really tough thing emotionally it's not the physical mm-hmm. part that that beats you down it's the emotional and and no one knows it better than Kyle so you know thank goodness he's familiar with the process and you know hopefully he, he attacks it with as much positivity as he has before it just really stings for him personally, clearly. But also, you look at what he was doing at the plate, and he was doing so many things really well, whether you talk about walk rate, strikeout rate, not chasing. And it felt like he was sitting on a big power month of June. That's what it felt like when you're watching him, that it was trending in that direction. And from that standpoint, it just adds, it adds to the sting of this. You know, you were seeing so much growth. And, mm-hmm. and you know, that's the, the life of a young player in this league is, you know, it's almost like a tennis match with the volleying back and forth. And, you know, and, and they returned Kyle's serve in, in September of last year. He seems to be responding very well. And like you said, the underlying uh, data suggests very good things are happening. And, you know, more importantly, I, I think Kyle has shown the ability to adjust and adapt you know, if, if you'll recall, a couple of weeks back, Scott Service said something along the lines of, you know, we're going to get out of this collective slump when we start using, you know, the, the whole field, particularly hitting the ball the other way. And almost immediately, the, the first player to start doing it was Kyle Lewis. And, you know, he just started hitting the ball to right field. And, and lo and behold, that's when he found, you know, that, that power swing. And Kyle is, he's strong enough to hit the ball out of any ballpark from pole to pole. And, and we've seen sometimes his biggest power is to right center field. And, and, and during this, the previous homestand, we had seen him hit balls out to, to right field. And, and that's something we hadn't seen really since last August or so. And, and that was a really encouraging sign when paired with the, the excellent walk strikeout numbers, the, the good swing decisions, and what we had started to see as an increase in, in exit velocities. We know this, with injury comes opportunity for others, and a couple of outfielders who we are going to see a lot of for a while at this point is Jake Fraley and Taylor Trammell. I want to break down all 15 walks for Jake Fraley in a minute. <laughs> uh, it's going to take a while. Before we get there. Uh, Taylor Trammell, we all remember uh, the excitement for Taylor. He was in tears when he found out from Scott that he was making the opening day roster. Uh, new face in the organization. 
uh, struggles in his first tour in the big leagues, a ton of strikeouts, goes down to Tacoma, rakes, makes some tweaks, some adjustments. And even though we've only seen him in a handful of games since his return, we have seen the power, a colossal home run. But even when he has made outs, they have been competitive at bats and plate appearances. Uh, what have been what have been your takes so far in the 2.0 of Taylor Trammell? You know, my thin slice is that his swing's in a good place. Uh, Taylor is always emotionally appears in a good place. You know, he's he's <laughs> such an easy guy to root for. He he has fun when he plays. He has fun with his teammates. He's 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 got joy. He brings joy to the game. And you know, more importantly, on the field, we're seeing that he is recognizing the changeup. And it's a, you don't have to go out there and hammer the changeup, but you have to recognize it. And you know, I think that's one thing that the the reset in Tacoma did for him was it allowed him to recognize the changeup. We've seen that in a couple of at bats so far. And you know, the swing, he's he's hit the off speed pitches. You know, he's using the field and his approach and he's hitting the ball hard it's a uh, like those are really good things especially for such a young player and it's it's amazing what just going to triple a and finding the barrel for a little while does. it just makes it, it increases your confidence reminds you that you're good and and, mm-hmm. and taylor's good he's going to be a good player in this league and maybe that started already and, and we've started to experience that transition into you know what he can do at this level because it's got a chance to be pretty special from your perspective, when you see players come up for the second time, how different is the overall comfort level that you generally see? You know, it's a, I'll, I can flash back to a moment in my own career. I, I came to the big leagues in, uh, in early May of 1993, and I stunk. You know, it, it was a week. I had two outings that were easily forgettable, <laughs> although they're still burned on my brain. <laughs> and, uh, and then I went back to the, to the minor leagues, and, and they called me back to the big leagues about a month later. I went back to the minor leagues. I don't think I gave up a run. You know, it was, a, and it, was it, it felt easy. And, and it never really felt like that in the minor leagues before. You know, the minor leagues is always just as, as difficult as, as the big leagues when you're there. You know, it's, it doesn't feel easy. Uh, and I went back to the minor leagues, and the minor leagues felt easy to me. And, and then when I came back to the big leagues, our then assistant general manager, I was with the Indians at the mm-hmm. time, and our then assistant general manager was Dan O'Dowd. And, and Dan called me uh, from when I was moving from AAA to the big leagues, and he said, hey, Pack Tammy and Taylor, I, I had a baby at the time, uh, and who's now 28, <laughs> and uh, pack Tammy and Taylor in the, in the car, come to Cleveland, you're staying for the rest of the year. The confidence that that gave me was unbelievable. The, the feeling that, all right, I'm, I'm here. Whew. You know, so I go back to the big leagues, and I stayed the rest of the year, and about 10 days into it, I was the setup guy, and about three weeks into it, I was the closer, and, and I wound up having – what I think um, was one of my better years was my rookie year. And, and it was because of the confidence that they gave me at the outset. And we're trying to instill that in a lot of these young guys. This is your time. This is your opportunity. And, and really just let them run with it. And my opinion of it is that when they have that confidence, when, when their wife or girlfriend knows where they're going to be, when, when they come home at night and they know where their baby is, you know, when they get up in the morning and they know they're going to the ballpark the next day, whether they were four for four or zero for four, that's a really good feeling. And you know, that's when you start to see guys play with a little bit more of a relaxed way. And it's a really hard game, and it's a particularly hard game if you're playing tense. And you know, right now we've got some guys that are playing tense and when we have to find a way to relieve that tension if we're going to help them become you know what they have the ability to become so jake fraley has not had uh 
very long of a runway to date in the majors, right? Whether it be because of injuries or roster construction, he has been here for just short glimpses. He now looks like he'll be here for quite some time. He had drawn two walks in 70 career plate appearances in the show prior to this year. And this year, Jerry, I have never been more excited to see somebody when they get to a two-ball count than Jake Fraley <laughs> because he was walking all the time. Uh, the other night, he had an incredibly competitive 10-pitch plate appearance. He fell behind 0-2, fouls off a ton of tough pitches, draws a walk out of it, and then he's got the other end of the spectrum where guys just don't throw him a strike at all, and he sees four pitches that miss. Uh, something is going on with Jake Fraley where he has been uh, as eagle-eyed as anybody. What is it that you are seeing? What adjustments has Jake Fraley made? You know, I, I think the, you know, the thing with Jake, he went to spring training. He knew he had an opportunity to make an opening day club. We want to see what Jake can do. And, uh, you know, the first seven or so days, seven to ten days of spring training, wasn't easy for him. I mean, he wasn't hitting. He wasn't getting on base. He was watching as young players around him were starting to really take an opportunity and run with it. And, and then, lo and behold, he just started taking pitches, started watching instead of pressing. And, you know, when you watch, when you see pitches, and, and, I, and I've long believed this, that's when you get out of your slumps. The best hitters in the world are the most patient hitters, generally speaking. And when you have the patience to watch pitches, track, and see the breaking balls, watch the change-ups, now all of a sudden you're going to get more fastballs because even at the, the major league level, pitchers don't throw their off-speed pitches over the plate that often. You know, the, the pitches are thrown more often with the intent to get you out, like make you chase. Therefore, if you're willing to identify and, 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 and track those pitches, you're likely to get yourself into more fastball opportunities. And, you know, in so doing, you're going to be 202131 a lot. Everyone wants to hit in those counts. And, and when Jake started doing that in spring training, my sense was he did it because he knew he was in a bad place with his swing and he needed to see pitches. And, and then he just started walking. And after he started walking, he started hitting. And then we saw a guy who wasn't hitting for seven days become one of our better hitters for the next two or three weeks. And obviously, opening day, the first two or three days of the season before he went down, he was a walking machine. You know? <laughs> and, uh, and it was happening. You're like, man, this is un unusual. <laughs> and you know, the other day when we activated him from the IL, one of our front office guys came into the, to the box just before the game. And he said, hey, Anybody, what is Jake Fraley's walk percentage right now? And I said, coming into today, it is 41%. <laughs> I think it's sustainable. <laughs> and, but he's done a great job of identifying the strike zone and understanding that that is a part of his skill set. And I think as a result, now you're starting to see the confidence when he gets in those 202131 counts, or even when he goes through exaggerated at bats, long at bats. When you see six, seven, eight pitches in an at bat, the likelihood that you're either going to A, see a mistake, or B, have tracked that pitcher and you've seen what he's got. And your, your ability to get into a winning situation is increased tenfold. And, and it's making him such a, 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 an interesting player moving forward for us. And, you know, he has a skill set. And, and when he hit his first homer the other night, there, and I, I heard Val say this on air, you know, I'm shocked that that's his first homer. Jake hasn't played that much in the big leagues. I mean, at the, if the, coming into this year, you're talking about fewer than 100 plate appearances, and he's still in his mid-20s. We're not talking about a guy who's 31 and on his last leg trying to make the club after being sent back and forth to the minor leagues. He's a young player who's really 
from a playing time perspective, about a half of season removed from double A in terms of reps. So it's a it's a very unique situation and and I'm really thrilled to see the way he's taking this opportunity and running with it. I think it's great to see. I'm glad you brought that up because it feels like there's so much prospect talk now, which is good for the game, but overall in the baseball world, that sometimes it gets lost. And I, I feel like Sheffield, uh, Trammell also fall into this where uh, we've talked about them. The baseball world has talked about them for so long. You sometimes lose that they really haven't been in the major leagues all that long. You know, I, did, I thought about it the other night when Justice Sheffield's throwing against the Angels. You know, he's... He's actually a few starts away from completing what would normally be his rookie season mm -hmm. in the big leagues in terms of total number of starts. And, you know, so many of our hitters, Kyle Lewis has won a rookie of the year award. He's had, you know, a, a, a really kind of explosive September debut, and he's still well short of a full season in the big leagues by way of plate appearances. So it's a, we're living in a very unusual, you know, two-year-ish time in, in baseball history where in our mind's eye, we think these players, by virtue of talking about them as mm -hmm. prospects or, you know, being high on prospect lists or the fact that for the last two-plus seasons, they've been on the major league landscape, but they really haven't had a lot of exposure, which is, you know, and it's we are an acute example because we have so many young players, but it's true of a lot of other young players around the league where you know, there are young players who, you know, for lack of a better way to put it, are famous who really haven't, you know, had that type of, you know, road in front of them, which is, it's fascinating and, mm -hmm. and, and kind of fun to see what they'll do because, you know, the early years, uh, especially those first, you know, thousand or so plate appearances for a hitter or 200-ish innings for a pitcher, there, there's a lot of turbulence in there and you will see a lot of ups and downs and we're seeing it now spread over multiple years. And I think what that does is it creates an expectation by fans, by even analysts in today's game game you know where when is this guy gonna hit yeah. he's got 200 plate appearances right. there tends to be turbulence you know and, and you know we have to be patient especially us by virtue of what we're trying to do here a uh, grading fraley's flow and beard game i mean we're talking it's on par with his walk game it's, you know? it's elite that's <laughs> yeah. a great point i mean this is as good as it gets i mean there's a there's a lot of man hours put in for fraley to look that good with that beard i mean it looks like he's just rolled out of some cave but there's there's some prep that goes into that thing. There's no doubt. Would it be fair to say, like in the box when he takes the helmet off and he has oh, to, he, yeah. he, he's got the the, nice. the bandana yeah. on with the with the flow in the back. It's I feel like we should just slow the the video down. It's a supermo. Slow it down. Yeah. Yeah. When he swings so hard that he loses his helmet, I feel like that's at least somewhat intentional. Yeah. I mean, you got to show that off a little bit. I like when he swings hard, <laughs> because generally speaking, that means that he got a pitch to hit, sure. and and you know it, it's his swing decisions right now are phenomenal. the 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 first couple of games since he's come off the IL, I'm not sure you can make better swing decisions. It's it maybe as impressive as any we've seen in a short sample. You know, not just Jake Fraley, but any of the young players that we've had transition to the big leagues. I mean, it's you know almost impossible to believe the decisions that he's making right now and it's going to lead to good things i'm certain well the mariners uh, when you and the mariners made kind of the roster reset and kind of turned the page and started a new chapter a couple of years ago one of the uh, starting building blocks in this foundation was jp crawford uh, this was a guy that had been a top prospect uh, for years on end in the phillies organization comes to the mariners 
has improved uh, even more so defensively, and we are now seeing kind of another wave of the offensive production for J.P. Crawford. Well, we've, we've seen it in bursts so far. J.P. is looking to do it over a full 162, but it does feel like right now this is among one of the better stretches of time we're seeing in the complete game of J.P. Crawford. That's, I, I think we acquired him just in hope that we would get to the point where we would be able to engage our marketing department in producing the JP PJs. <laughs> That's, uh, I, I, you I, had this all worked out. It's phenomenal. <laughs> yeah, we, we knew this is how it would happen. But, you know, it's funny. I, I'm a bit of a nerd uh, in, in the way I look at baseball's history and ask it to teach lessons about, you know, it's the future and, you know, and references. And about uh, over the course of time, you know, and this dates back to we'll, we'll call it the, you know, since the Second World War. So a good sample size in, in history, like hard to, to refute the records over that period of time. About half of the hitters that come to the big leagues that establish themselves at everyday, as everyday players, it takes them no time at all. Somewhere between they hit the ground running and 500-ish plate appearances, and they kind of are who they are. Uh, you know, in extreme cases, it, it, it's immediate. In, in a slower case, it's three or 400 plate appearances, and they're there. The other half take longer, you know, and, and it roughly you start to see them click, let's call it. And that click usually happens for guys right about the time they're 25 or 26 years old. That's where JP is. You know, he's, and I think we're seeing that click moment for him. He's always had good patience at the plate. He swings at the right pitches. He's got a really good swing. We've watched him physically get stronger. And now we're starting to see it manifest itself in some extra base hits. He's starting to hit the ball hard through the gaps. You know, his ability to identify the pitches that he can pull has been, you know, a, a big improvement. And I'm really excited about where his offensive game is. I know it hasn't shown up yet in raw OPS numbers or the, you know, it doesn't look wildly different in the in the sample that we're in in 2021 but I do think that the way he's doing it and where he is in his career just past a thousand plate appearances he's just playing his 26 year old season this is when guys generally click and I think we're seeing that with JP it seems like this approach just watching it play out daily fits his skill set really well uh, gap to gap spraying it all around everywhere you know it's it's I think that skill set it works in any era you're playing in, you know, and, and we got so comfortable for, for let's call it a, about a 20, 25 year stretch with power hitting shortstops mm. that we forgot that most shortstops through the history of baseball that, that are really good players look like J.P. Crawford. You know, they hit for high contact. They use the field. They take their walks. They play good defense. They run the bases wisely. That's, you know, sign me up if that's your shortstop. And right now we're seeing J.P. start to do some of those things. And, and hopefully, like I said, this is his moment where he clicks and turns into this player consistently moving forward because we've seen flashes of it before. And, and hopefully this is his time to consistently apply himself. The defense is phenomenal, too. Uh, with the public numbers, you look at defensive runs saved. He's consistently been second. And second at every position in baseball, not just shortstop, but the second best rated player at any defensive position. He's been great. For, for two years now. Yeah. You know, we use the 20 to 80 scale uh, in measuring defense. And, you know, Jesse Smith, our director, senior director of analytics, uh, actually said you know, we were – 
two weeks, three weeks into this season, and he said, you know, we are now north of one major league season into J.P. Crawford, 80 defender. And, you know, I don't know that anybody, you know, when you're scouting players, and it's very rare, you know, I get to play with great defensive shortstops in my career. Guys like Ray Ordonez and Omar Vizquel and, you know, but you don't grade guys out in expectation that they're going to be 80 defenders. Uh, and we didn't grade JP out as a future 80 defender. You know, we graded him out as a plus. And, and 80 is extreme. And right now, that's kind of what JP has been doing for now about a year and a half, which is, you know, incredibly encouraging. Now, a year and a half, it, it, it's, this dates back to the tail end of the 2019 season when we started to see a lot of the work that he and Bone put in on his defense and, and the work, really the work that he's carried through his off seasons, his defensive game has become so consistent. And you know, it's a, it really saves us a lot because we, we don't strike a ton of hitters out by, by the standards of the league we're playing in, but we do get ground balls. And, you know, and the ground balls we get generally get turned into outs, particularly when they're hit to the left side of the field. Yeah, Perry Hill, beloved, loved by everybody who works with him. That's funny, Jesse Smith, every time we leave the senior part off of his title, he always reminds us of it. But uh, I know that was a recent promotion that uh, Jesse likes to make uh, pretty clear, I would say. <laughs> pretty clear <laughs> that, that he continues to climb within the ring. He is a senior. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. We, love, we love Jesse. He's one of our favorite guys. Hey, why we kind of get on this nerd subject that Gary brought up on the advanced numbers, something that Gary and I kind of kick around uh, before games, after games, in this kind of enlightened period of, of numbers in baseball, we still struggle to find defensive numbers that uh, agree <laughs> with each other, <laughs> uh, agree from one source to the other, agree with what we're seeing or not seeing. I, I know you guys have uh, everything internalized. It's uh, proprietary and, and not for the public. But if you are a Mariners fan and you're trying to find out uh, some advanced defensive metrics on your favorite player, where, where would you go to find some numbers that you think would be most representative of what you guys have internally? Uh, I would say fan graphs, and, and I would focus specifically on defensive run saved. Okay. It's, a, it's, a, it's a fairly safe metric to give you an idea of what a player does. And, and I say this, you know, you can go into like the, the, the fan graphs website and you can look at the defensive tab you know, as a whole. And I'm not sure that really tells the whole story because they weight their their number by position. So it's a, you know, you will go in there and, if, for instance, you will see Evan White with a negative number because he started, and I, I think the number is at a negative 15 or so, where they'll start a first baseman because they value the position down uh, or devalue the position. You know, it's similarly, if a shortstop, you know, J.P. Crawford, by virtue of the importance of the position, excels, his number is going to be extraordinarily high because it's deemed to be the most important position. Uh, so there, there's some noise involved in that. You know, like we think Evan White is also an 80 defender. And, you know, and that showed up over time in the metrics. But if you go in and, and you find that conflicting information, oftentimes that's why. It's how these, you know, how the various sites, sites get to their, their info. So there's still some eyeball test that, that applies. But generally speaking, if you are going to use something in the public, you know, defensive run saved is, is probably about as safe as any. Gotcha. It's good to know uh, because we uh, we've looked at outs above average, which is the new Statcast metric, and it's sometimes they really agree, and other times uh, one player or team is uh, wildly fifth, different, and the yeah. other is yeah, on the other side it's uh, a 
23rd. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's, that, that can be a challenge sometimes. The A's are a great example of that. The A's? Yeah. As they a just, team? Just, yeah, as a team. It's just, it's, they're just all over the map. And it's interesting that you bring up first base because Olsen, who, of course, has been a goal I think he's phenomenal. Yeah, yeah, he is phenomenal. And you look at his defensive run saved, and he's minus right now, which mm -hmm. is, like, you watch it play out. It's like, yeah. how, is this, <laughs> how is this possible? But when you talk about the noise and him being a first baseman, and being so young in the season, it makes sense in those terms. You know, I, I think about it. It's and that could be true of Olson. It could be who I think is uh, he's a Gold Glove first yeah. baseman, legitimate Gold Glove first baseman. I, I could say the same for years about Eric Hosmer, who mm. never scores in, in you know public reviews of defense. He's a good defensive first baseman. I mean, he does it easy. He makes the picks. He's good in the dirt. Like there's a lot of things that he does that really separate him from other first basemen, but it doesn't show up in the public forum. You know, that's a, one of the things that we thought, even the day we drafted Evan White, was this guy's going to break the, the, the system because they don't, you know, we've not seen a defender at first base ever be, you know, I guess, rewarded for the quality of the defense. But I, I'll tell you what, you notice it when it's mm -hmm. out there. It makes your team so much different. And, you know, I, but I do think that, you know, the combination of, of good things that are happening around our infield when everybody's healthy, that, that gives us something to look forward to. Keep hitting it on the ground, boys. Along those lines, we've heard Scott Service kind of casually throw around every so often the idea of defensive efficiency. Uh, which I, I guess I interpret as turning balls in play into outs. Is that a fair way to look at that? Yes. Okay. Like, w we haven't been able to find that publicly, but that does seem like that's something that you guys very closely track internally. Is that fair? We do. And, and it's something we, we, you know, you tend to, you know, you, you tend as a business or as a team or even individually, you, you're good at what you track. You know, and, and that's something that we have historically tracked and and uh, and we make it a point. And that's that is taking into account all of the factors we just discussed, the, the athleticism, uh, the, the, the ability of players like Evan White or J.P. Crawford or Kyle Seeger, who are just good defensive players. And then it's 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 adding in the element of our positioning. You know, how much do we get? You know, uh, how much benefit do we get by the way we position our, our infielders? You know, and in that category, we've generally been among the, the, the top two or three teams in the league probably over the last five or six years. It's something we always have done very well. And that's a you know feather in the cap of our analytics and, and advanced scouting groups. But, you know, now take extremely good defensive players and put them into a system that is already, you know, excelling in terms of the way we, we position our players and, and really good things have a chance to happen. And I think we see that when all our players are healthy. Jerry, as we take a quick glance down at the minors right now, uh, Cal Raleigh <laughs> is doing some remarkable things like nearly uh, hitting a home run over the what looks like a 40-foot wall at Cheney Stadium. Uh, he's not only hitting for power, he's hitting every day. Uh, what is going on with Cal right now? He's a good player. <laughs> you know, we, we have talked of all of the players that we talk about on, on, you know, on shows like this or, or even when we discuss our top prospects. The guy that we always hit on or discuss is Cal Raleigh and the guy that never shows up in public discussion or third party ratings is Cal Raleigh. It's a 
we we think Cal is part of the group of young players that is often celebrated. You know, the Kelnicks and the Julios and the Hancocks and the Kirbys. It's you know the Noelvi Martes, the guys that that we see is that 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 wave of of talent coming. We think Cal's right in that mix, and and we've always talked about him among that group. And and what we're seeing now is that start to manifest itself with more play at the high levels. He's it's it's been north of an 1100 OPS roughly for you know since about two weeks into the season you know the the fact that he's hitting you know north of 300 with 1100 OPS he's a switch hitter with power from both sides of the plate he can catch he can throw and he's very cerebral in the way he calls a game we think that adds up to a lot of really good things in the big leagues and and uh, you know he's going to get an opportunity to play in the big leagues and I would be stunned if it doesn't happen for him this year and you know frankly he's making a case to make it sooner than later with the way he's swinging the bat especially. When you think about calling up a catcher, what added sensitivities do you have to make simply because of what is going to be on his plate once he gets to the major league level? Uh, obviously, it's more than just the hitting for a catcher. That's the whole thing. You know, it's a, the outfielders, you know, shortstops, first basemen, everyone's going to go through their turbulent time, you know, as, as they adjust as major league hitters. The catcher, not only is he doing it, and just like the shortstop and the center fielder, he has to do it while taking his defense into account, but the catcher's defense actually affects the outcome of the game in a way that no one else really has to deal with. It's managing game reports. It's managing the advanced scouting. It's managing 14 pitchers and what they do, how they throw, what they might, you know, how they may attack the opposing team, and the 12 or 13 hitters on the opposing team. So there's a lot that goes into it. And as a general rule, if your second baseman as a 24-year-old comes to the big leagues and struggles for, for 30 or 40 days as he's trying to find himself offensively, he picks up the, the ground balls, he throws them over to first base, and all is good in the world, he has to worry about the pitcher that night. The, the, the catcher has to worry about so much more. And, and as a result, I, I think you will see catchers take a little bit longer through development or even as they transition to the big leagues. And, you know, we, we want to make sure that we have enough depth built up so that the catcher is never in a position where he has to go out and, for lack of a better way to put it, wear it for a period of time because it's really hard to separate the offense and the defense, and it's particularly important to do that when you're the catcher. So make sure you're in a pretty good offensive place before you promote them to the big leagues because, you know, that's the, that's the key is you have to stay clear-minded defensively. For all the reasons you just listed, I think catching is the hardest single position in the game right now. And I, I think when you look at the overall catcher slash, which is uh, lowest it's ever been across the board, whether you're talking about batting average or uh, slugging or on base, and I think that plays into it. There's just there is so much that is on their plates right now, even more so than just five, ten years ago. It's amazing, you know, and, and, and I remember, you know, growing up in the in the 70s and the early 80s, and which I, I, I don't know you're going to find a better time with guys like Johnny Bench and Ted Simmons and Gary Carter and Thurman Munson. Yeah, they were everywhere. Great catchers were all over the place. Carlton Fisk. And 
you know, if you go back and you look at that, that you know, the, the progression of, of those players, for every, you know, for every Thurman Munson who hits the ground running and he's, he's a star, you know, the, watching the development of a guy like Ted Simmons, who came to the big leagues very young, and it takes them a while to, to, to move into it. You know, it's, a, it's such a unique thing. And then somewhere along the way, the athletes that, that were catching started to drift away from catching to go do other things on the field. And, you know, the, the athleticism of a catcher is sometimes subtle or not given enough credit. It's huge. If you've got athletic catchers that, that can do, even if they're bigger bodied guys, you know, you can be a bigger bodied athlete uh, as seen by Bartolo Colon. Who I think is the probably the poster boy for big body athlete, and you know I, I think you can do both those things, and and you know we got away from athletic catchers for a period of time, and now I think you're seeing a wave of young players coming through the minor leagues, especially or even some of the younger big leaguers that that are really athletic behind the plate, and and we're going to start seeing it. I think result in maybe more JT Real Mutos and and yeah. fewer you know decades long you know absence of of productive catching well jerry we're going to wrap up the show with this week's stump jd i know last week uh was a nightmare for you it was uh, actually it was somewhat embarrassing it's the first time you haven't even <laughs> you haven't even offered a swing you know that was uh it was it was fraley-esque i suppose in that regard you just although i was you didn't allow me to walk though. i was you peppering just, your you strikes humiliated yeah, there was me nothing, there was nothing walking on back the to the dugout uh, we have a very topical Stump JD. I don't know if it's going to be much easier for you, but I think Gary came up with a winner this week. G-Man? Along the lines of Lou Gehrig, baseball just recognizing Lou Gehrig with our first Lou Gehrig day. As we all know, his consecutive game streak was passed by Cal Ripken Jr. Can you give us one of the next three on the list, three, four, or five on the consecutive game streak? Everyone knows the top two, Three, you know, four, three, or five. Four or yeah, five. Any of them. I'm going to say Steve Garvey. Yes, number four. Uh, I'm going to say Everett Scott. Number three. And. I mean, you're already a winner. Yeah, we a just winner. asked for one, and you got it. Yeah. So. But I wanted, to, I wanted to sweep this, mostly just so I could bat flip Aaron. But I, I, <laughs> I don't blame you. Yeah. I'm drawing a blank on the other. Miguel Tejada. Miguel, I would not have gotten Miguel Tejada. That's yeah. that's awesome. I, good I, work. Good work. Yeah, Gary. that's really well done. And Gary, it was really nice of you to give him two of those answers before he went on. The <laughs> okay. Because it was just, it was hard. It was hard to see Jerry like that. Because we care about you, Jerry. I'm back, baby. We yeah. feel like He's we back. feel like the show may not continue if we just utterly destroy you like we did last time. So. This I is... still feel like today I am the second luckiest man on the face. <laughs> <laughs> Nicely done. Uh, that was a good job, man. That's yeah. good. That, getting two out of three. Nicely right off the done. bat, too. Yeah, no seriously. hands, no anything. Just out of the park. <laughs> All right. All right. This is, you got a pep in your step now, Jer. I'm feeling it. Good. Yeah, I'm feeling it. Good, good, good. Hey, man, uh, as always, thanks for being with us, and uh, it's always good to hear what's going on with the ball club, and thanks for the time. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it.